Okay, fantastic. I think most people are making their way back from taking their kids out. Good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome. If you don't know me, if you're a visitor this morning, my name's Steve, and it's my privilege to be able to speak to you from the Bible this morning. If you have been here the past few weeks, you will know that we are doing a, it's like a completely 360 degree experience. It's not just a series that we're speaking on a Sunday morning, but themes that we're picking up in our city groups and also as part of a devotional that Pastor Clive has written for us. And it's called Keep the Change. And so a few weeks ago, I uh, spoke and uh, spoke about the fact that, uh, well, talked about die hard meets pride and prejudice, this idea of our love for God being so strong and so intense that we, you know, cross mountains and fight terrorists and walk across hot coals and this sense of love with teeth. And then a couple of weeks ago, Ben uh, continued the series and spoke about the fact that it's about a person, that our Christian life and our devotion. It's not about believing uh, some things. It's about who we believe about the Lord Jesus. And then last week, Karis spoke about the kind of practical expression of that, of serving, unswerving, and uh, the expression of our love and our devotion to God. And I'm continuing the series this morning, and I'm going to talk about uh, a man called Josiah. Well, not just a man, but a king, one of the greatest kings in the history of God's people in the Old Testament. And so I was thinking about this whole idea, you know, Karis did, I did a few weeks ago about, you know, if we were to sum this up as a movie, what would it be? And, uh, and the kind of story of King Josiah in many ways reads like probably about 25% of Hollywood movies. It's about, you know, that in a land without hope comes one man to make a difference, you know, and you insert different names and things here, because that's the story of King Josiah that we're going to look at this morning. And because I, I grew up in the 80s, I, uh, I thought about Knight Rider. Does anyone else remember Knight Rider with David Hasselhoff? and a black Pontiac and an accessorized kit so that he got this flashy red light around the front. You know, he was a, a lone crusader in a shadowy world. And this is the kind of um, the story uh, of King Josiah that we're looking at this morning. And like I said, in a number of Hollywood movies where ordinary people go on and do extraordinary things. But I don't know about you, when I kind of watch movies like that, I tend to think, actually, they're not ordinary people, are they? You know, you're meant to believe that this guy was just some janitor who happened to be in the place. But, you know, he's a janitor who works out and has like a degree in computer science and, uh, you know, knows how to fire machine guns and stuff like that. And they're not ordinary people, are they? they they're, you know, really teched up, upskilled people who are in the right place at the right time. That sort of thing doesn't happen to ordinary people. Ordinary people kind of, you know, walk into their spare room in their house and are overwhelmed by how many boxes there are and think, oh, no, I can't do that, I'm going to shut the door. Never mind taking on international criminals or fighting Al-Qaeda with the use of a broom or things like that. You know, have you ever been in that situation where, I don't know, you need to kind of clean up your garage or your house or, you know, you had a load of kids over to play and you open the door and you look at it, it's just, I don't know where to start. What do I do here? Um, but actually, you know what, today we're going to read about the story of somebody who... who knew where to start, and there was an overwhelming situation, and they, they did it. But on the theme of, of ordinary people, I was talking to uh, Lucy, my daughter, who's eight, and uh, Lucy has this, a series of books, which she's reading in a minute, which are called like 10 Girls Who Changed the World and 10 Boys Who Didn't Give Up. They're fantastic series of books about 
men and women of God who grew up to make a difference and who were ordinary people who did extraordinary things. And so I said to Lucy, I said, like, who of the, the ones you've read has particularly impacted you? And she talked about uh, Evelyn Brand. Now, has anybody heard of Evelyn Brand? Not many, a, a, a handful, a handful of people. Evelyn Brown was an extraordinary woman. She, she was born in 1879, and, and to be fair, you know, in a fairly uh, you know, privileged upbringing, but she was brought up to know the Lord and to love the Lord. And then around about the age of 30, God called her to go and become a missionary in India. And uh, because she loved the Lord and because she was obedient, she went. And uh, an incredible woman who did amazing things. She got married and then her husband died. She was separated from her children. She had broken bones. She fought through fever and sickness to bring the gospel and to love people and to adopt children in Madras, in the areas surrounding, in India. And, uh, you know, when she was 70, she kind of worked through this mission board. And when she was 70, she retired. But for her, retiring from this work for this missionary board was just like a fantastic opportunity because she could now do all the things that the missionary board said she couldn't do. She could go to the areas where they said, no, no, that's too dangerous. You can't go there. And so at the age of 70, she started pioneering new works in India. And she lived until the age of about 95 in the mid-70s. She died. She was an extraordinary woman. But you know what? She was an ordinary woman who did extraordinary things because she loved the Lord. And so, you know, I'm going to talk about King Josiah this morning, but I don't want you to get the idea that that sort of thing is for, you know, kings and heroes. You know, I don't want you to, you know, just be sitting there in a seat thinking, oh, well, that's all very nice hearing about people like that. But, you know, I'm just an ordinary person, aren't I? I'm just, I'm just making up the, the, the kind of filling the seats, making up the numbers. You are not making up the numbers. You know, the history of the church, the history of the world is filled with ordinary people who loved God and were willing to say yes to God. And please don't let the world, don't let anybody tell you that you're just making up the numbers, that you can't do this, that or the other because you've never been to Bible college or because you haven't been given this particular gifting. You know, an ordinary person plus God can do extraordinary things. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, he said, anything, everything is possible for him who believes. And you know what? I believe that. And so today we're going to look at the story of King Josiah, but it's not just the story of King Josiah. It's a story of any of us who are willing to say yes to God. Amen. Fantastic. So we're going to read from 2 Chronicles and chapter 35, and I think the uh, words are going to appear on the screen. We're going to read verses 16 to 18, and then skip a little and read 26 and 27 and then I shall pray. So 2 Chronicles chapter 35, reading from verse 16. So at that time, the entire service of the Lord was carried out for the celebration of the Passover and the offering of burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord, as King Josiah had ordered. The Israelites who were present celebrated the Passover at that time and observed the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. On to verse 18. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel, and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. And then on to verse 26. The other events of Josiah's reign and his acts of devotion in accordance with what is written in the law of the Lord, all the events from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the sense of your presence with us here this morning. Lord, it's an incredible 
thing that today we are free to be in your presence, to approach boldly the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. And we recognize that that is possible, Lord, because you took the initiative. You took the initiative in history. You took the initiative on the cross. And you took the initiative with each one of us to put your finger on our lives and to bring conviction by the Spirit, to illuminate us so that we could see and recognize and respond to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so this morning, Lord, we want to pray that you would continue that sense of bringing conviction by your Spirit, of of switching the lights on in our lives and in our understanding, of speaking to us by your word, Lord, so that we can continue to respond to you, so that we can say yes to you and the things of God in our life this morning. Lord, we ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So I'm going to talk about the life of King Josiah. And um, we can read about King Josiah in the book of uh, Second Kings, and also in the book of Second Chronicles, and I was thinking about this and thinking maybe it would be helpful to put a little bit of of context because um, I don't know if, if you've if you've ever kind of started reading the Bible at the very beginning, reading from Genesis and kind of going on through, and then you know and you kind of get through some of the, the sort of tough bits where it's like lists of things and you get into, you know, the sort of history of the people of God. It's really fascinating and you can read from Samuel and Kings. And if you ever read through kind of one and two Kings and then you've got to one and two Chronicles, you might have had this sense of, so this, this sounds a little bit familiar. I've read this before. And that's because essentially Kings and Chronicles tell similar stories, but from slightly different perspectives. And I thought maybe it would be helpful just to the start to put this into perspective. So last week, Karis was talking about uh, King Solomon and David's advice or uh, encouragement um, or command to his son Solomon. Now, after uh, Solomon died, you know, David had the vision to build the temple and Solomon started the work on the temple. After uh, Solomon died, his son took the throne, a guy called uh, Rehoboam. But um, proving that there is nothing new under the sun, the people in the north of the kingdom had a bit of their chip on their shoulder. And they felt as though, you know, in the rebuilding of this temple, that they were contributing too much, that there was too much of a burden placed on them. And so they broke away from the people of God. The 10 tribes in the north of the kingdom broke away. And, uh, and sort of, there was a, a divide in the people of God at this point. And it's, uh, it's a bit like, you know, when you go into the supermarket and uh, the, you, know, you, you have your kind of Mr. Kipling's apple pies, and then you have like the supermarket own version, which is like Mr. Kapling's apple pies, or uh, you, you, know, you kind of have the sort of McCoy's crisps and then the McKay's crisps, and they try to, it's kind of a bit like that. So uh, King Rehoboam was the king of the nation, and the north broke, uh, broke away, and they put their own king, King Jeroboam. So slightly different, but you know, slightly similar, you know, just similar enough to confuse your average shopper about whether they were buying the genuine thing or not. And then uh, Israel had a succession of kings in quite a short space of time, which as any football fan will tell you, when you have like lots of management changes, it's, you know, your football club is not going places really, it's on shaky foundations. Number of kings, and pretty much universally, they were a rum lot, you know, they were not good kings. And that's not a surprise, if you're founding a nation on rebelling and breaking away, actually, you know, the church is littered with a uh, history of uh, how that doesn't work out very well. And, uh, and God sent some prophets to speak into that situation. 
Hosea, Amos, Jonah, people like that. So when we read about those prophets, they're talking into this context of these 10 northern kingdoms that are generally referred to as Israel. But because the people are just like intermingling with the people around them, they're not staying true to God or his word. They're just becoming like the the people in the land around them, worshipping their gods. They're not staying pure to the covenant formed with God. God warns them, sends the prophets, they pay no attention, and ultimately Israel in 721 BC, nation of Assyria, invaded them, they're taken off into exile, and that's it really for them. They kind of intermingle a bit, marry the people around them, but, but they're sort of lost to history really. I mean, in the New Testament, the, uh, you kind of read about the Samaritans, who I guess are kind of ethnically the closest to this group of people, which is why the Jewish people you read about in the New Testament are so kind of antagonistic towards Samaritans. They're the muggles. They're, the, you know, they're not the, the kind of pure people, really. And so that's the nation of Israel. And when you're reading the kind of books like Kings and Chronicles and those history books, sometimes it kind of, you think, oh, it talks about this king and then it talks about a different king. And often what it's doing is talking about who the king in Israel was. And then in the south, whereas the north is generally referred to Israel, the south is called Judah. And, uh, and even though there were fewer people this is kind of carrying on the true line. This becomes the people of God because of Jerusalem being the center of worship and the temple, because it's carrying on in the line of David. And these people really are, are kind of the people of God from now on, minus these 10 tribes who go off and do their own thing. And it, they have a succession of kings ranging from uh, good, mediocre, and bad. And again and again, God sends prophets to speak to them. So again, when we read about the prophets, people like uh, Isaiah or Micah or Joel kind of are speaking to the southern kingdom, speaking to Judah and warning them to you know, continue to follow God and be faithful and be obedient. And uh, like I said, there were some bad kings, but there were also some good kings. Hezekiah, he was a great king. He was you know, faithful to God. He tried to clean up the land. And uh, the, the kind of kings and chronicles talk about him like there was never a king before or since other than David, like Hezekiah. But as much as Hezekiah was a great king, his son Manasseh was a terrible king. And as much good as uh, Hezekiah did, Manasseh kind of did worse. And uh, so Manasseh, and then he had a son who reigned for a couple of years. And then we read about King Josiah, who we're going to talk about in a little minute. And again, Prophets, those prophets we read about in the Old Testament are speaking at this time. Jeremiah talks about the fact that he, he receives the word of the Lord while Josiah is king. And uh, Zephaniah, he's speaking about a similar time as well. And, uh, and, and so Josiah, we'll read about him, tries to change the course of the people of Judah so that they don't go the way of Israel. But ultimately, the same thing that happened to Israel, the fact that they were disobedient to God, that they mixed with the people around them, they were taken into exile. The same thing happened to the nation of Judah. This time, it wasn't the Assyrians. They had been overtaken by a new empire, the Babylonians. And they carried off the people in kind of successive stages into exile. And so there's the people in exile. Again, the prophets are speaking, trying to make sense of this. People like, you know, Habakkuk saying, you know, why is this happening? When the people are in exile, people like Ezekiel are writing to them. And it's not a good time. You know, sometimes we think about there's that song, and it's a psalm, isn't it, by the rivers of Babylon. And if you listen to the, the song by Boney M, it sounds very jolly, doesn't it? By the rivers of Babylon. And it sounds really good. But what it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. When we remembered Zion, we remembered where we'd come from and what happened, and this is a terrible, terrible thing. But ultimately, God, you know, is committed to his people, and a remnant start to return to Jerusalem, led by by people like Ezra 
and Nehemiah. And, uh, and again, supported by people, the prophets that God says to speak into this situation. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, the people of God are restored. Now, all of that, you know, you might kind of think, oh, well, that's really interesting. But actually, hopefully that helps us make sense when we're reading the Bible of seeing it in context. But it's important when we're talking about Kings and Chronicles because the book of Kings was written when the people of God were in exile, when the nation of Judah was in exile. And it was written to help them understand Well, what do we do now? How come we've got to this place? How come things have got so um, bad that we are in this kind of situation? And uh, and so the writer of Kings kind of tells a story of God's history with his people, and it particularly emphasizes the idea of covenant. The idea of God's relationship with his people and that firm commitment that God had with them. And then uh, the book of Chronicles, which kind of goes over similar events, but it talks to the people in the time of Ezra and when they were kind of had come through the exile and were starting to return to Jerusalem and they sense of, well, what do we do now? You know, what does this mean? So we've been through this. Is God still for us? How should we live in this land now, and the writer of Chronicles points them back to King David and says, you know, look at him. He is like the ideal king. And so everyone else really is measured by how they compare to David. And so both the writer of Kings and the writer of Chronicles talk about King Josiah. And by piecing these two things together, we can get a picture of his life. And we find it in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. So I'm just going to go through, uh, like summarize the events of Josiah's life and then pick out three things that will help us in our uh, application and our learning from Josiah. So Josiah became the king aged eight years old. So think like Daniel Charlton. Daniel Charlton is the king. Crown, robe, shorts, Daniel Charlton (laughs) is is the king. So he's the king from eight years old. And, And the writers tell us that at age 16, he starts to follow the Lord. He comes to know God. And uh, we're told that he walked in the ways of his father, David, and he didn't veer to the left or the right. That's, that's kind of Bible history way of saying he was a good one. He did the right thing. At the age of 20, he started to clean up the land, just like his grandfather, Hezekiah, his great-grandfather, sorry, Hezekiah had done. He starts to recognize, well, there are temples dedicated to to foreign gods. There are people doing things that God says is wrong. There are all sorts of practices. We have become just like the people around us, and this isn't good enough. And he starts to try to clean up the land when he's 20 years old. And then the pivotal events and the things that we read about earlier happen when he is 26. So King Josiah sends one of his servants to the temple uh, with some money to pay the workers who are working on the temple. And there's just this lovely touch, which I think reveals something about his heart, that uh, says, uh, pay the workers, you don't need to get a receipt, I trust them. Is offend- uh, you know, to paraphrase is, is what he says. And these workers in the temple say to the servant of the king who's come, he says, oh, we found something. When we've been doing this building work, we found something. We found the book of the law of God." which you kind of think would be quite a significant thing to have misplaced. You know, you'd be like, keys, phone, word of God. But um, they discovered this, and uh, 
you know, it could refer to the sort of first five books of the Bible. Most commentators think it's talking about the book of Deuteronomy. And if you like, Deuteronomy is just a great summary of the covenant of God. It's like Moses' last will and testament where he says to the people, this is, this is who God is, this is what we've agreed to, and it includes the Ten Commandments and the, this kind of covenant of God. And, when, when, and they, they kind of bring this back to King Josiah. And when he hears the word of God, he is moved. He is uh, really kind of pierced. And remember, this is somebody who for, me, for the past 10 years has been following God. For the past six years has been doing great things and great activity for God. But when he hears the word of God read to him, he is just really provoked. Because what's going on here? You know, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about the fact that uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you know, if you follow God, if you do the right thing, if you live in the way that he's made you to, to live and you follow him and you keep the covenant, things will go well with you. But actually, if you don't, if you walk away from God, if you live just like the people around you, well, then, you know, you will not continue to enjoy the favor. The contrast is between blessing and curse. And so when the king hears this stuff being read out, it, it's like the light is switched on. Why are we as a nation in this mess? Why are we under threat from the nations around us? Why do things not seem to be going well? It's because we've abandoned God. So there is understanding that comes to him, even though you know, he's kind of living a fairly good life before that. And his response is to seek God and then to inquire of a, of a prophet And basically, the prophet says to him, well, you know what? You've got a great heart. You're kind of really contrite. And, you know, the way that you respond to hearing that word and we're, like, really provoked, you will not kind of experience the terror that is coming. But as for the people of Judah, you know, so great was the sin of Manasseh. So long has been their wandering from God that actually, you know, this is what's going to happen. They are going to be taken into exile, just like Israel was uh, over 100 years beforehand. And, uh, and again, I think it's real testimony to Josiah that he didn't kind of respond and think, well, <laughs> as long as I'm all right, then that's cool. You know, that wasn't good enough. So he insisted, he gathered the people together and he, he had the word of God read to them. He's not giving up on them. He had the word of God read to them. And then he leads them in recommitting committing and reconnecting with God. He recommits to the covenant of God and all the people follow his example. And so you see his personal integrity, but also how he leads the people of God in a similar thing. And after this point as well, he redoubles his effort to deal with the sin and the foreign gods and the idols in his nation. So it's like he was doing it before, but suddenly he's like a man on a mission, a man possessed with zeal, that there's just like a zero tolerance policy. So where there are like uh, idols, crafted things, things made, dedicated to other gods, he knocks them down, he burns them, he grinds them and scatters them on the graves of common people. He gets rid of these priests who are uh, leading people off to worship people who aren't God. He will not tell it. He even goes so far as to dig up the bones of priests of false religions and get them removed from the city because they just is so zealous about ridding the land and ridding his people of anything that is not worship of God. Any trace of pollution from that uh, the, the kind of the nations around them. It's a bit like, you know, how 
Sometimes, uh, I hope nobody here has been in this situation, but sometimes you kind of see it on the news when there's a flood and people's homes are flooded. They, they, you know, when the, and the waters come in, people don't just say, oh, well, you know, I'll just get a vax and run it around. You know, when that kind of dirty, polluted sewage gets in your house, you have to get everything out, don't you? The furniture has to go, the carpets, even take the plaster off the wall and put fresh plaster on because that sewage just gets everywhere. And that is what happened in the nation of Judah. The, the sewage of sin, of uh, worship of false gods had got everywhere. And so uh, King Josiah was a man on a mission. We're going to get rid of this totally. And he goes to extreme lengths to do it. So he reads the word, he recommits in, in covenant to God, he is just zealous about dealing with sin. And then the other thing he does, which we read about in that passage at the start, he celebrates the Passover. And it says in verse 18, the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Joshua with his priest, as did Josiah with his priest, the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were there with all the people of Jerusalem. So the Passover really celebrated and marked how God delivered his people out of the hands of Egypt and led them. It was the start of leading them into the promised land. And so it was part of, of their worship to God was celebrating the Passover, how God had supernaturally and sovereignly delivered them, them from the hands of their enemies. And so he reinstituted this celebration of the Passover. So that is the, the kind of a part of history, really, of the life of King Josiah. And I want to pick out three things for this, from this incredible uh, king, this incredible person who responded to God. There's a great verse that says of King Josiah, uh, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul. And uh, I kind of love that sense. I think that's kind of come out a little bit in our worship this morning of just kind of being uh, all in for God. Again, I think Karis spoke about that last week. But there's three things from Josiah's life that I want to touch on and I think that we can respond to in whatever situation we find ourselves in. The first one is about read. Read the word of God. So, uh, you know, King Josiah, they rediscovered the word of God. But in, in reading it, King Josiah understood the implications. He saw his, himself and his people in what was read to him from that word of God. And he responded to it. He didn't just kind of think, oh, this is nice, or put it up there as some kind of like religious um, artifact. You know, it, it had real impact and real meaning. And uh, it, it seems like such a, a kind of strange idea that, that they kind of lost it for a time and they rediscovered it. I'm always fascinated when you, you kind of hear stories of, um, there was one in the news a couple of weeks ago, I think they've been renovating an old co-op building in Birmingham and discovered within it a fire station. Now, I cannot imagine how you might like misplace a fire station, but they, they, I don't know whether like, a wall had been boarded up and they'd taken it down as part of the building, and there was like the, all their uniforms were still there, all the apparatus, even had like the names of the people who'd done it. And it's like, can you imagine that? I remember when I was a, a kid and I uh, used to go to my great granddad's house, who lived in a sort of fairly typical terraced house with a, a toilet at the bottom of the garden, and they had like a front room that was kept for, for best. 
And I was always fascinated by this room, this door that I'd never been through um, and, you know, kind of wasn't allowed in. It's like, oh, what secrets hide behind there? So, like, the whole idea of, like, working in a building and there being a fire station that nobody noticed is just fun. But, but for these people, you know, it was the word of God hidden that it was discovered as part of building work. And so, you know, I, I'm sure that none of you have, like, lost your Bible behind a bit of partition or something like that. But, you know, sometimes in areas of our life, the, the word of God can be neglected. You know, it could be physically true that we, you know, pick it up, take it to church on a Sunday, bring it home again, put it where it is, and it stays there for the next six days until the following Sunday, and we take it out again. Or actually, lots of people now have the, the kind of Bible on their phone as an app. And in some ways, that's even more challenging, isn't it? Because most phones will tell you how long you spent on different apps. And so you can see the number of hours or minutes that you spend on on your Bible app compared to, you know, Facebook or Instagram or the news or sport or whatever it might be. And so maybe that we haven't kind of lost our Bible in our house, but it can go missing, can't it, in areas of our life, or it can get neglected. That maybe, you know, we know where it is when we're at church on a Sunday morning, but when we're at work on a Monday morning, it might be different. When we're out with our friends on a Tuesday night, it can be a different situation and a different scenario. So where is the word in my life is kind of one of the provocations that I read from, uh, from the life of Josiah. And I think it's one of the really interesting things that obviously the word of God you know, gives us instruction, it gives us understanding. But I think one of the incredible things is it contains faith and it contains life. That when we read the word of God, it just brings the ability to put it into practice. It's one of those really weird things that when God speaks to you through his word and puts his finger on an issue in your life, when he challenges, I find this when he challenges an attitude in me or something that I'm doing or have done. It's really weird because on the one hand, nobody likes it when you know your, your faults are highlighted or that you realize that you've been doing the wrong thing but there's something so good actually when god does it through his word because it kind of brings this faith that actually god's doing it because he cares about me and he wants me to live differently and to be better and to not have this attitude and it kind of shows that actually oh i still have the ability to hear from god and to respond to him and it's just such a, a kind of weird mix of of kind of oh i got it wrong with oh god's helped me get it right that's the power of the word of god it brings faith and ability to put it into practice and to do the right thing we need to read the word we need to rediscover remember josiah he was kind of a good guy he knew broadly right and wrong and was kind of doing some good things but when he rediscovered the word of God in his life, suddenly, you know, he went about things with new gusto and it, it was like the lights had been switched on. And if you want the light switched on in your life today, read the word of God. Read the word of God. So that's the first thing, read the word. The second thing is remove, remove sin. Like I said before, you know, Josiah was kind of doing this in elements, but when when he was really provoked by the word of God, it was like something new happened. It was, he kind of suddenly, he, he took his jacket off and he rolled up his sleeves and he said, you know what, we're going to have to get serious with this now. We're going to have to get serious with this sin because it is leading us into ruin, into exile. Look at the consequences it is having on our life. And similarly, the challenge that I get from this is, about being zealous about sin in my life. You know, for, for 
the, the people of God there, so much of it was about the influence of others around them. It wasn't that they thought, you know what? I think I'm going to do the exact opposite of what God wants me to do. But it was the subtle influence of the nations around them. Why can't we be like them? They do this. Why can't we do that? And this pollution that comes in. So, you know, some of the issues in our life are not necessarily about trying to deliberately do the wrong thing, but about our, our purity and our holiness being eroded by the influences of the things, of the attitudes of the people around us. And just like uh, the nation of Judah, just like the nation of, uh, of Israel before them, it has negative consequences. We can't compartmentalize it. We can't say, oh, I can do that over there and everything else in the garden is going to be rosy because one of the things that Josiah understood was it's personal because he started to see the sin and the idol worship and the worship of foreign gods and all the wrong things that were going on in the land. He saw it in context in relation to God. It's part of the covenant of God because when we sin, it's not just that we do a wrong thing. It's that we, we do what God says is wrong and it's personal. I think it's one of the things that really staggers me about God. You know, God is so powerful. He is so awesome. He created the world. He keeps it turning. God speaks and things happen. God, you know, wants something to happen and it can happen. And yet God gives us incredible power. Each and every person in this room has incredible power because you know what the Bible says? That we have the power to cause God pain or we have the power to cause God pleasure. You know, just before the flood, we read in Genesis 6 that God looked at the people and the wickedness and how they always wanted to do the wrong thing all the time. And it says God was grieved that he'd made man and his heart was filled with pain. The fact that the lives we live can cause God pain is a phenomenal thing. But equally, we can cause God pleasure. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, find out what pleases the Lord, that we can do things that cause God pleasure pleasure. How powerful are you? How powerful am I? And suddenly, King Josiah sees the, what goes on around him in relation to that covenant, in relation to that agreement, that marriage, like marriage agreement, really, between God and his people, and it's personal. And so, you know, we can't just separate off the, the kind of wrong attitudes, the wrong habits, the wrong behaviors, the wrong words, in our life, from our relationship with God. It's all part of our relationship with God. And it either brings God pleasure or it brings God pain. And so just like King Josiah, we need to be zealous about dealing with the wrong things in our life. I think it's, um, it's really interesting that, uh, that Josiah went to the lengths of digging up the bones of these kind of priests of false religions and removing them. And, uh, you know, I think just I was really uh, provoked and struck when I read that about, you know, stuff can be buried deep in our past. It can have become part of our culture, part of our environment. And it can be really difficult to deal with that. But sometimes we need to dig stuff up so we can remove it. So that's the second thing about removing sin. Read the word, remove sin. And then the third thing is about restore is about restore. So Josiah restored the celebration of the Passover. It was an act of response to God and to minister to God, to mark what he'd done. And in many ways, it comes out of the first two. If you read the word and you're provoked about sin and you deal with the sin in your life, 
then the, the only natural response is then to worship God and to respond to him. And you know what, when we do that, we kind of, it leads us back to the word and it leads us to deal with sin and it leads us to respond to God and it leads us back to the word. And it's just part of this process of growth that is really exciting that God continues to lead us on. But it comes naturally from the first and the second. Jesus said in Luke 7, 47, those who've been forgiven little, love little. But when we appreciate what God has done, that you know, if we confess our sin, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. When we uh, appreciate that how God enables us to live clean and to deal with the rubbish, it, it, our response is to praise and to worship him. So I wonder whether we can pray to respond to these things and to respond to what we've read and we've heard about King Josiah. I want to invite you to stand, if you will, And I want to pray about these three issues. Actually, you know what? Before we get onto those, I want to pray just about that thing we started at and any mentality that I'm just an ordinary person and I can't do anything. Because you know what? We need to call that out and we need to say, that's a lie. That's a big fat whopper. And I think there are people here this morning that are living under that lie, that I'm, I'm just, or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just filling the seats I'm just you know uh, making it look a bit fuller on the back row or whatever it might be do you know what that's a lie the enemy and the world around you and even your old nature within will try to tell you that you are nothing that you are rubbish that you cannot achieve anything and today I want to say to you that is a lie that is a lie because what you're saying when you agree that you're not just passing judgment on yourself you're passing judgment on God You are establishing a theology in your head that says God is too small, that my problems are greater than God's ability, that my sin is greater than the power of the blood of Jesus, that my problems are greater than God's solutions, and that is a lie. So right now, Lord, I want to pray for any mentality that is in us as individuals, that is in us as a people. Lord, that says, I'm only, that says that I can't. We want to reject that completely in the name of Jesus. We want to say, Lord God, with one voice, that nothing is impossible for God. We want to say, Lord God, that everything is possible for the man or the woman who believes and puts their trust in you. That me plus you, Lord, is an unstoppable, immovable force that can change nations, that can change cities, that can turn families around, that can overcome the most complex situations, that can stop us being overwhelmed by the most difficult situations and bring change, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to pray that you would take our heads and turn them around if that needs to happen, Lord God, that you would change our thinking. I really believe that for some people, this is, a, this is a problem that's been really, you know, ingrained. Like, you know, if, where you've had a wooden window frame and it's been painted over for 20 years and, it, you know, that's going to take some effort to get that open. And I believe there's some people here who've just heard this again and again, whose, whose mothers have spoken this over their lives, that you'll never amount to anything, that you can't do that you can't do, that you're not good enough, that that's not for you, that's for others. And you know what? We need to deal with that this morning. I want to encourage you, if that's your situation, if you recognize that there is a deep 
ingrained, kind of run over, painted over time upon time upon time message into your life that says that, well, I'm going to invite you to, when we kind of finish the general prayer time, to come to the front and somebody will pray with you for that and help you to pray through that. It's really important that we don't go away today with that idea or that mentality. I want to pray about our response to the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God in our life. You know, whenever I hear about people who've, who've kind of wandered from faith or put the Word of God to one side, you know, the question that kind of comes to my, uh, my mind is, is, is this, how is that working out for you? How is that working out for you? Because inevitably, when I see people walk away from the Lord, when I see people just neglect their relationship with God, it doesn't work out well. Lord Jesus says that wisdom is proved right by her actions. When we invest in our relationship with God through his word, when we allow it to speak into our life, it has such power. It makes such a difference. And you know what? I, I just you know, kind of went through that, that stuff this morning just to put what we were reading in context. But again, I feel like maybe there's some people here this morning who you stay in the kind of safe places. Well, I understand the Gospels. I understand Acts. I don't understand Zephaniah. I'm not going to go there. You know, I can understand that. But the problem is if the word of God for your life is found in the book of Malachi, then we're going to need to expose ourselves to the whole of the word of God because all scripture is, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And again, I want to say to us this morning, you know what you can do that? We can do that. We can be people of the word, of all the word. We can be people to whom God speaks through his word. We can be people who, when we read it, we see ourselves and we have understanding and we respond. So Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning because this isn't a prayer or a response for some of us. This is a response for all of us, Lord God, to be people of the word. Lord, would you help us? Would you cause faith to rise in our hearts? We want to pray for a grace to be on us, to read and to understand, to make that time, to put aside the clutter of life, to put aside the tyranny of the urgent and say, I am going to, you know, first principles here, I'm going to let God's word speak into my life because without it, I am lost. But with it, I have hope, I have power, I have authority in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray about this issue of sin, of idols in our life. You know, an idol is not just a, a kind of carved thing. It's anything that takes God's place to which we give glory, to which we look to for help or comfort or power or for solutions in life whether that's the uh, you know opinion of (laughs) celebrities or uh, whether that's about you know serving our work before serving our God whether that's about pursuing a dream that's not God's best for our life just want to wait for a short while and let God speak to us just to highlight if there's any areas in our life where we need to do some work or we need to remove the rubbish. And it'll generally be that thought that just came into your head there, that first idea. See, most of the time we know what it is. We know what the big thing is that we need to change in our life. And you've got a choice. We all have a choice right now. Do I want to bring pleasure to God? Do I want to bring pain? Do I want to do what satisfies the enemy? 
God's enemy, my enemy? Or do I want to do what pleases God and which ultimately is God's best for my life? And Lord, I want to pray that you would help us all I I just saw when Steve was speaking there and I saw um, actually I saw it in the meeting at the start and I saw a torch like come on um, like a rocky path Um, and there were rocks on this rocky path and all of a sudden when the torch light came on all these little bugs scattered have you ever done that you know you open a cupboard and there's like wood lice in there and they all just like run for cover Um, and I and I felt like it was kind of this area of sin in our lives that we're doing a series about keep the change and we're shining the light on these areas of our lives where we need to change um, and when the light comes, you know, often all those, air, those little things in our lives, they can yeah. just run for cover and hide under the nearest rock and be like, oh no, don't, you know, I'm, I'm going to, don't change me. I'm hiding away. I'm not an issue in your life, really. Look, I've gone. And they hide away like that. But I felt like this morning, you know, that rock um, that they're hiding under is the rock of kind of defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we say, well, that's sin in my life, well, that's understandable because I'm under this kind of pressure or I've had this lack of parenting or I'm stuck in this kind of relationship or um, I'm under the pressure of finances in this particular way. Um, and I felt like this morning God wanted to come and say, you've got to take that. If you really want to keep the change, if you, if you want to keep the change and change your character and your nature and your relationship with God, you can't just expect things to stay like they are you've got to pick that rock out of your life and you've got to be honest with God and say the times that I've said to him oh that's understandable that I've got that issue because of these reasons this is the morning to say I'm going to I'm going to stop being defensive before you God there isn't actually an excuse for these little behaviours in my life that's what we see in Josiah he goes for everything you know it doesn't matter if your parents worship this way or taught you that that thing if you're under the promises of God you've got to you've got to stop being making those excuses for your life you've got to stop being critical and you've yeah. got to go for it so yeah I'm going to do you want me to pray or do you want to well pray? I'll just share a couple of other things actually and then yeah that'd be great so uh, Andy Barry um, just shared with me uh, this morning as well and I think kind of relates to that idea of digging up those those bones and getting rid of them just this uh, Paul talks about don't build on another man's foundation and recognising there are foundational things in our life that come from whether it's our, our you know our upbringing our culture our, how we've been parented but that today God wants to put new foundations, wants to get rid of a poverty mentality or an ill health or mental health and put new foundations. The other thing, just before we pray some more about this, I was, you know, I kind of did that metaphorical taking off my jacket and rolling up my sleeves. But the, the reality is, you know what, if you're going to clean up a mess, you don't wear a suit. You don't kind of put on a, a brave face. And I feel like for some people, to actually deal with issues in our life, we're going to have to put aside a kind of good image and there's a, a, again a choice about whether we want to look good or whether we want to be good whether we want to look like we've got it all together or whether we want a life that is all together and sometimes we might need to just put aside the, the brave face that says you know what I'm not okay but God would you help me in this situation so Lord Lord would you help us Lord would you help us Lord would you come by your Holy Spirit Lord, and enable and empower change today. Lord, a determination and a decision and a faith and a conviction. I'm not going to carry on in these cycles of sin. Uh, A kind of resolve that says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to think like that anymore. I'm not going to respond emotionally like that anymore. And to make a decision today, Lord, I want to pray that 
you would cause those issues to fall off our life right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, just like, um, you know, like there's been a, a kind of, uh, the, the magnet has been turned off, as it were, and the thing falls to the ground because there's no force in it. Lord, as you cancel sin, it cancels that argument. It cleanses us from unrighteousness. Lord God, and enables us to walk free from those things. So I pray, Lord God, that you would cause those things to fall off from our lives right now in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to encourage you. I wonder whether we can all kind of pray out loud, but I would encourage you to feel like there's something really significant and there's all praying at this time. We need to take ownership. We need to say to those issues, get off my life in the name of Jesus to declare uh, that Jesus has set us free. Can we all pray out loud for a minute or so and just, you know, have a big or small issue in your life. We need to take authority. We need to pray about this. thing I want to pray about this morning is just that sense of restoring the relationship for Josiah. It was about the, the Passover. But it's about responding to Jesus. You know, one of the things that I found in my life and in helping others, that actually if we're removing something from our life, it's really important that we put something in place. If we're resolving not to do something that is wrong, then there's a response that is right. Does that make sense? That we're not just kind of getting rid and leaving a vacancy and a big hole, but actually we're choosing to fill our lives with the things of God. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to worship you. We want to end our time together of responding to you and your word by, by acknowledging how great you are, that you have paid the price, that you have enabled us to be different, that you have enabled us to keep the change and that change would change others, that by your blood, Lord God, you have made provision for all the call of God in our life, all the healing we need, all the prosperity, all the provision, all the energy, all the life, it all comes from you, Lord Jesus, and we acknowledge that today, Lord God, as we, as we are talking, as we're praying about our devotional life with you and the fact that it all comes from our connection with you. Lord God, we, we choose to reinvest afresh in you. Not to come because of what we can get, Lord God, but to come and minister to you and to say how great you are, how much we love you, how far beyond compare you are. And Lord, to say we want to bring you pleasure. We want to live our lives in such ways that, that bring you joy. Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you empower us afresh by your Holy Spirit? Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.